0: Welcome to this week in sparkling water. This is what it's like, you know? This is what it sounds like when you press play on it. It's like this. It's just me going like this, you know? I feel so fucking weird today. I'm just going to pretend like nothing, and I'm just going to talk, and it's going to be fine. And that immediately reminds me of this phrase I read. Yesterday I read this weird think piece on Trump supporters on the internet. They kept using this phrase, we are what we pretend to be. And it like felt really true in the context of that because like Trump supporters on the internet, it's like they love to turn everything into a joke and be outrageous and say that they're trolling. And there's something about it that feels very deeply like core to what Trump was or is that it's like, it's not about fiscal policy. It's not about that. He's good at managing. It's not about his opinion on any issues. It's just like an attitude and this sort of light skating around on how everything is a joke and hiding behind how everything is a joke and saying horrible shit and pretending like it's a joke and then people take that mantle of that posture and go on the internet and it's just and it's just this thing where people like pretend to be racist and because it's funny and pretend to be anti-semitic and and horrible and say crazy things. And it's like, everything is said as a joke. So they can just be like, no, we're just pretending. But then this think piece was about this phrase of like, we are what we pretend to be. And there's something, it's, I, I don't know that that's like obviously true, but it's prob- like I don't know that I've av- actually th- ever thought it before, but I think it's actually true. We are what we pretend to be. And then, you know, in this case, I feel weird as fuck, but I'm gonna pretend to be normal does that mean that I get to be normal? So I'm just going to be here and I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to pretend to be normal and I'm just going to talk about stuff. So like last week and I went to this party and many, many things happened at the party that I found very interesting that I want to unpack with myself. So just to set the scene. So my aunt She was turning 75. She's super religious. She's in this Bible study group, this all-women Bible study group, where they sit down for three and a half hours and read the Bible, and then they, multiple times a week, you know, like very, very focused on how much they just love the Lord so much. And then there's this other lady in the Bible study group who lives in this big mansion. So when her birthday's coming up, the mansion lady is like, let's do a party at my mansion. And so it's this beautiful, ostentatious, crazy party. Like, they rented an 11-piece mariachi band. My aunt's Mexican, and she loves mariachi bands, and I do too, and they're very cool. And so there's 11 dudes, 11 people with... Like, there's this dude with a harp. They're just spread around this, like, big pool. The whole house is like a Frank Ocean song, you know what I'm saying? And... And I'm just in this sun chair and there's just this like dude on a harp right in front of me. And and the harp has all these LEDs on it and the sun's setting and the sunlight is beautiful. And it's just so weird, the whole thing. But so she also rented like a taco truck and they just like set up this entire taco kitchen outdoors in this beautiful backyard. Wonderful. But then there's this interesting big choice, which is that this Bible study group, there's a lot of people in their lives that are like alcoholics and sober alcoholics and not sober alcoholics. And they have this strong belief about how alcohol is very demonic. So they make it a dry party, right? And what I find very interesting about that is how people try people like from an AA perspective, from an AA perspective, people completely misunderstand how to do that because what they did was they set up a full bar with no alcohol where you can go up and you can order a pina colada and they have a blender and they have all these things and they measure it out and they make you a cocktail, a mocktail, to make you a mocktail to order. And there's like pina coladas and Mai Tais and margaritas and there's a huge keg of non-alcoholic beer. And it's so funny to me because it's like, yeah, you might look at that and be like, oh yeah, that's perfect for for a sober alcoholic. That they just get to chill and there's no alcohol around. But the truth is that that's like the fucking opposite of what I want. Because I want to be allowed to just be, and I want the world to be reality. And in reality, there are bars with alcohol. And I want to just be able to be like, hey, can I have a Coke? Or can I have a water? Could I have a diet Coca-Cola, please? And this bar has no Coke. There's there's nothing except things called pina colada and margarita and just cocktails. And then I have to go through the motions of walking up to a bar, asking for a pina colada, having a bartender make me a drink in fancy glassware with a garnish and then give me that. And it's like I'm going through all the motions of being an active alcoholic and I mean, the point I'm trying to make is not that hard to understand if you just think about it in terms of like why we don't like giving chocolate cigarettes to children. Because when you give chocolate cigarettes to children, and they get to sit around and and hold a cigarette in their mouth and like get used to the physicality and the ritual and the movement and the the talking around and all of the the and not almost all the adjacent stuff. Like it's there's not actually smoke or fire, or nicotine, but there's everything around it. And so when you have a bunch of sober alcoholics walking up to a bar asking for margaritas and then drinking three margaritas and they're non-alcoholic, it's like very much you're like asking me to act out a relapse. And it's like all of these things that I'm trying to not, all these movements I'm trying to not activate, like all this muscle memory that I'm trying to not be inside of. You know, in AA meetings, they have this thing where they say that NA beer, the NA in NA beer, it doesn't stand for non-alcoholic. It stands for not for alcoholics. Like it's just not for, it's not good for alcoholics to drink NA beer. It's too close. It's too much like you're acting out, you're LARPing a relapse. So I found that very interesting because it, it made me deeply uncomfortable, you know? I, I was thirsty and there was nothing to drink, so I drank a fucking non-alcoholic beer and I could only drink two sips and then I poured it out. And then I was thirsty again, so I like opened another one. And then I just left that one on a table. And then I drank a, a pina colada, which was pretty much just like ice and pineapple juice and coconut water in a blender. God, and the whole thing made me very uncomfortable, but but... Yeah. And then I was talking about the party and, and uh, my friends were being like, my coworkers were being like, so, so what denomination are they? And I think that's so interesting of a question because like the new ultra religious people who love Trump are really post denomination. It's really like they are just X everything because they have abandoned all their religious leaders and the true figurehead like the true theological figurehead of their movement is Donald Trump. And he is like just a posture. He's just a spiritual leader. And it's so interesting because none of his words matter somehow. It's just about the fight. He fights and he's a spiritual warrior and he fights. And there's so many things about it I find so interesting because they're so counterintuitive. Like these people are obsessed with, qanon and child trafficking and the movie sound of freedom and they're obsessed with how children are being taken advantage of and drag queens are trying to go into the fucking third grade classroom and do a drag show and sexualize children and they're they hate all that stuff but at the same time in like a real sense they have very little awareness of like age and sex like in reality like I, I go to Mexico with my aunt and they, we go to this restaurant and there's a mariachi band. And I can't remember if I talked about this on the podcast. It was kind of like a long story, but but I go to this restaurant and there's a mariachi band and there's this girl singing. She's like the main girl and she's so cool. She's got this big old face. She looked like a Mexican Lucy Dacus and she was so pretty and she played the violin like a beast and she's just singing and she's got these pipes on her and she just like really dominates common just really dominates the room just really sort of has the crowd and i just thought she was so cool and i was telling i was smitten with her and i say this out loud to my aunt which i fucking had to regret immediately because she's like oh yeah so you should get her number and i'm like it's fine i'm chilling with my family not only do i not have any riz in any normal context But I'm chilling with my family. I'm on vacation at a resort in Mexico. Can I just like chill and not like try to talk to some girl? And then she's like, no, 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 you have to talk to her. And she like pulls me to, and so we're I'm talking to this girl. And then when I get up close to her, I'm like, dude, this girl's like 18 years old. I'm 36. Like this girl is not age appropriate for me. I don't know. I don't even know that she was 18. She could have been 17, you know? My aunt has absolutely zero concern that this girl is that the age discrepancy is a little bit like Muhammad and one of the girls in his harem. Like there's, it's so interesting to me that it doesn't apply there for some reason. And so this, <laughs> I don't want to say this poor mariachi girl. Cause she, there was nothing like there was nothing. She was very much in control of herself and the whole situation and everything. Like she was very cool. And my aunt was like, okay, so this guy, he's from Sweden. He's single you should give him your number and so she gives me her number and i'm like and the girl doesn't speak english so my aunt <laughs> my aunt is just translating and it's like an arranged marriage and i'm like i'm like so uncomfortable like it's so funny to me that this ultra conservative anti so many things that have to do with free sex and and like this person that should be so afraid of sex and everything and me i am like this liberal and i should be this like free thinking free spirited free love character when we actually crash into reality i'm like incredibly anxious and uncomfortable with sexuality and everything and like my aunt isn't and she just gets to be the dominant party that just gets to set the tone and she gets to be the person that's like <laughs> that's like that makes me su- it's just also such a funny like I don't know it's a funny dynamic that I've been with with many been in with many like my grandma and my mom I get in this dynamic with all of them they where they're like so much more free about stuff and I think it's like my grandma will make these like crazy sex jokes you know And it makes me so uncomfortable. And my grandma is so conservative. And somehow, it's not just two-dimensional. It has, like, many, many dimensions. Like, being, like, free. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. but, But somehow, so that's, like, how my aunt is. And then this party that I went to last weekend, same thing happens. There's, like, two girls in the mariachi band. And they're, like, pretty girls, and they're, like probably very young i honestly don't have any idea how old they are they could be 27 but i don't know but my aunt's all like yeah so you got to talk to this guy and she's talking to them in spanish and she's like and you have to teach him spanish because you don't speak english but it's like this time dude we're not in mexico and the girl is just like (laughs) this girl in perfect english is just like what do you mean i i speak english what do you mean (laughs) it's just so funny and my my aunt doesn't snap out of it she just keeps going to mexican and she's she keeps going in mexican she keeps going in spanish and she's just like yeah and so you're gonna have to teach him spanish and and he's kind of stupid and he doesn't speak spanish so you're gonna have to teach him so that you guys can talk and then like yeah so there's this whole thing there and then it just keeps going and it's like at one point there's like a big reveal or like there's a big prayer where where we're praying and we talk about how there's no alcohol at the party because alcohol is demonic. And it's like at the same time, her kids like some of her kids and some some of her nieces and nephews are there and they don't they don't wanna not drink, so they just like leave right away when they show up at the party and go to Total Wine and spend 250 bucks on basically a full bartending kit and all these this liquor and all the these mixers and they just set it up in a station wagon four cars down the street so every once in a while they all just walk out the front of the party and then they walk up the street four cars up and just make themselves drinks and then they come back double fisting these like you know little cocktails that they made each other And I don't know, somehow I was trying to parse this because I found it really confusing and I was talking to my coworkers about it. And they were all, and Larry was like, yeah, because none of that makes any sense because like Jesus turned water into wine. Like the Bible is full of how wine is the best thing. Like there's wine in church, like you drink wine at church. But I don't know, somehow it makes sense. From an AA perspective, it makes perfect sense, you know, because AA is like you gotta find you gotta find a belief in something higher than yourself to become the sober good person that you can be. Anyway, the other interesting thing, and this is not so interesting to talk about, but it's just, it was interesting to me because I got to meet these some of her nephews that I hadn't met since I went to america the first time when i was 16 which is now exactly 20 years ago 2003 i went to america for like a month and it's like the only time i ever went to america until i fucking met megan and got married and all this shit in my late 20s it was i'd just been to america this one time for a month and that one trip i bought a camera i bought like a digital camera And I took all these pictures. So I remembered everything from that trip. And one of the big things, or like a thing that really made a big impression on me is like I got to spend one day with these like people that are basically my step cousins. And I don't know, there was like a funny asymmetry to it because it was like this one day that I got to spend with this one dude who was exactly my age and then one dude that was two years older. And then we like... I remember hanging out with them and I said, this is super cringe, but I was 16 and we were hanging out and, and I was like, Hey, can we smoke some weed? I asked them if we could smoke some weed. <laughs> and I remember it's so cringe, but what I said was, Hey, you know, I like to smoke weed and I'm like kind of addicted. That's what I said. And, and I remember the guy, the guy got his brother in the room and repeated it to him and they both laughed at me. <laughs> it's such a fucking stupid thing to say but hey radical honesty the podcast is all about radical honesty so there you go that's what i said god that makes me i'm making myself blush it's so such a stupid thing to say but anyway, so we go on this big ride and we like buy weed and it's like this classic everything in this fucking that memory is also like a frank ocean song we're like driving around in some fucking beat up toyota and you know Pull up next to some dude standing on a sidewalk and just like hand him some cash and he hands us a little bit of weed and then we roll it up, roll up a blunt, and then we're smoking this blunt and I spit out the window and I remember fucking it up and getting spit all over my face and the inside of the car and the outside of the car and them just being like, yeah, this fucking weird Swede. <laughs> Let's just be nice to the weird Swede and not make fun of him for fucking up, spitting out the window. And then they're like, that's called a loogie. <laughs> so stupid. (laughs) Oh, so fucking embarrassing. And then we, like, go to a movie theater. And I, honestly, I'd smoked a little bit of weed in Sweden, not a lot. And this was, like, California weed. So I was just stoned like a motherfucker. And I remember having no ability to see in the dark. Like, my eyes could not readjust to the darkness of the movie theater. So I'm just standing in the aisle of the movie theater completely blind and just tromping around and there's steps and I'm just like super confused and like almost falling over and everyone has to be like bro bro bro, grab him grab the Swede grab the Swede because he can't walk and then we watched the movie and I wish I could remember what movie but I don't I don't know which movie we watched and then we went to some shitty restaurant it was probably like an IHOP or something and then one of the dudes that we were hanging out with And it's so interesting because it was probably just some guy that they were friends with when they were 16 that they don't even remember anymore, maybe. But I have a photo of him, and I revisited these pictures every few years because I just liked, you know, it's nice to look at old pictures. So this whole day that we had together became like this big thing for me because i like... It was my one time in America and it was my one time meeting people that were my age in America and having like an actual a day in the life experience of a teenager in America type experience other than just like hanging out with my uncle, sitting by the pool in some gated community and like, you know, doing a bunch of fucking, you know, old Swedish man in America activities. But so I'm hanging out with these dudes. And so there's a dude that they were friends with and he had a seizure. We smoked a bunch of weed. And we're standing, waiting for a table, and he just like passes out and just smashes his face into the wooden, like there's a wooden separator thing wall in front of. Dude, I really want to text the guy about this if he remembers any of this. God. <clears throat> anyway, there were all these things that happened, and then I never met that guy again, and I ne- like I never met those people that I hung out with that day, and I didn't even really know what their names were, because all I had were these photos, and the photos did not include what their names were, and a lot of the photos had like weed in them and stuff, so I couldn't like show them to my aunt and be like, who are, who are these boys here? Can I can you can I talk to them again? So finally last weekend I just got to see them again, and it was so funny because it's we're now 36 and like our last and the what, the guy who was two years older than me he was now a little bit straight laced and trying to be a, a serious fella so he just looked at me and said yeah yeah, it's so nice to see you again i i we i we saw you 20 years ago huh yeah i can't remember what we did but yeah it was fun and the that i can't remember what we did had this like <laughs> it had this like it reminded me of sebastian because sebastian has this thing of like he doesn't like to remember how Before, you know, before we used to do a bunch of crazy shit, and then he goes to law school and becomes a diplomat and stuff, and now he pretends like he never did any crazy shit, so he's all, like, trying to rewrite history. It had a really history revisionist vibe to it, saying, I don't remember what we did. I can't recall, because I can recall. But then I talked to the other guy who's exactly my age, and it was just, like, such a nice, such a nice thing where, like, yeah... He works in the weed industry. He has like a legal, he works for a company that has a big legal grow doing like super high-end boutique weed that's like $3,600 a pound. And they have three of their own stores and then they sell to a bunch of brands that go into a bunch of other stores. And it's just like such a funny like, huh, so 20 years ago, we just smoked some fucking swag in a swish of sweet and then 20 years later, we're standing here and we're like both kind of well-paid and both kind of like adjacent to the industry in different ways. And and I live in Grass Valley, just like the biggest weed capital of the world. Just so funny. Anyway, I don't think my nostalgia is interesting to anyone else. But, but one thing that happened at the party that I found very, very interesting was that there's this entire Bible study group of women and they're all there and there's a lot of praying, and we're talking, to, and then everyone leaves at the end of the party, and then we just end up in the living room, and it's just the lady who, who rents the mansion, it's this Vietnamese lady, this Vietnamese American lady that they all introduced to me as the prophet, and she can see demons, and talking to her, it's just like this powerful word soup of her being like, yeah, you know, we everyone's got demons at their houses. And like, I can go in there and I, you don't want to, do you want to keep the demons? Like, do you not want me to come to your house and like get the demons out? Like people don't know, like these demons, people call them ancient aliens, but really they are fallen angels. And these people attach themselves to you and they are your bad behaviors and they are your poisons and they they make you drink alcohol and everyone's like yeah dude she's the prophet dude she just she can see so many things and she speaks to the lord and the the lord like speaks to her directly and like she finds out things in her dreams and like she can she can see all kinds of things and and the group chat is lit with this Vietnamese lady i'll tell you that the group chat they have a group chat the bible study ladies have a group chat and it's lit and so we're in this, the situation that follows (laughs) is fascinating to me because so we're sitting in this living room and someone turns the lights up. So it's like incredibly bright in this living room and it's about midnight and I'm sitting on the couch and this Vietnamese American prophet is sitting next to me and my uncle is sitting on the other couch and my aunt sitting next to him and the lady who rents the mansion is sitting like across from all of us in an armchair and we're all talking and we're all laughing up a storm and there's a lot of hilarious stuff going on. And the Vietnamese lady, she has cracks a lot of jokes. And whenever she cracks a joke, she like slaps me on the thigh really hard. And whenever she's making a a clear point, she'll like put both hands on my thigh and like look me in the eye and like make the point really hard. And it's like so interesting because what does it mean to be touching my leg the whole time and like touching my arm and like holding my arm and then like slapping me on the thigh and then like running the tips of her fingers sort of like on my leg while she's talking and like giving me stuff like She got this. It was her birthday too, so she had a big basket of chocolate and stuff. And she like asked me what chocolate I like, and she like gave me all these chocolates. And we're talking, and she's like really focused on me. And it, it's like, what does it mean to be touching my legs so much? It's very friendly and it's very nice, but it also has like, it. There's a vibe to it, and it's like, it. I. I, It was such a like. I don't know how to describe this. You know what it really reminded me of? It reminded me of that scene in The Lobster where if you have if you've seen the movie you'll just know what I'm talking about that there's a scene where they are hanging out in in a living room in the city and someone is playing an instrument and the people are making out and if you don't if you haven't seen it let me try to explain this movie and it's one of the most confusing movies in the whole universe so it'll be very hard to explain but very briefly it's a made-up fictional universe where there is a world where everyone has to be in a couple And if you're not in a couple, you get sent to this resort. And if you can't pair up with someone else at the resort within 30 days, you get turned into an animal. And then there are people who don't want to be part of that universe, so they run away, so they're in the forest, and they are the single people. And in the single people world, you're not allowed to be a couple. So there's two worlds, and each world only has one allowed state if you know what I mean. So the main character, he starts out being in a couple, but then he gets dumped. So he gets sent to the resort and he fails to find a partner. And so he's about to be turned into an animal, but he runs away and he hides with the single people because he doesn't want to be turned into an animal. And then he falls in love with another single person while he's there. And that's not allowed. And so they have to hide it. But then these single people who are only allowed to be single, they do like a guerrilla mission. They have to live in the forest. So they do a guerrilla mission into the city. This is one of my favorite movies. I'm so, I love this movie. They do a guerrilla mission into the city to get like supplies. And so they're in the city. And in the city, you have to pretend to be in a couple. So they get paired up with people where they have to pretend to be in a couple. And he gets paired up with the single lady that he actually is in love with and they're actually in love. And now they have to pretend to be in love so that the city people who are in couples won't notice that they are single people because being single is illegal and they'll get arrested. But also they have to not pretend too well because then the other single people in their guerrilla group will notice that they're maybe actually in love. So they're in this living room, visiting someone's parents and the dad starts playing like a weird folk instrument and he plays this entire song and the people who are actually in love who are single people pretending to be a couple pretending to be single pretending to be a couple pretending to be single they kiss in an effort to pretend to be a couple even though they have to also pretend to be single and then they lose control and we're they're all in the living room everyone can see them and they begin kissing, and they lose control of it, and they kiss too much, and they're just making out and touching each other all over their bodies, and it's like incredibly, like it's way too much PDA. Because it's it's appropriate when you're listening to music to just sit there with your spouse and to just reach over and kiss them while you're listening to the music. That's appropriate. Like a kiss on the cheek, or maybe like one kiss, because the music is romantic, and then you go back to listening to the music. But they lose control and they start kissing a lot. And it was a little bit like that vibe. It, it Eventually the scene in the movie erupts with like the leader of the single people screaming that stop it. And then it just like is incredibly awkward and they realize that they've, that it's obvious that they're in love. But the thing that happened to me at the end of the party, it reminded me because it was like, it reminded me of that scene in the movie because we're all sitting in this incredibly brightly lit living room. And there's these three ultra religious women. And one of them keeps touching my leg. And I can just tell that the other two are noticing that she's touching my leg a lot. And that it's just like, that's their friend. (laughs) That's their prophet. That it's, I'm not doing nothing, dude. I'm not doing nothing. I'm not touching her leg. Like when she tries to hold my hand, I'm like, yeah, hold my hand for a second. And then I'm I'm gonna take my hand back. Like I'm good, bro. But it's just so interesting because like human sexuality is so... I've seen this so many times in like close friends where it's like someone isn't getting what they need. Like someone doesn't have their own sexuality figured out or there's some belief or there's some structure or circumstance even that they're not in control of that just puts them in a situation where where they're kind of sexually not satisfied. They're just they just aren't really getting what they need sexually or they are forcefully repressing themselves and it's just making them, it just has to come out in a weird way. And I'm going to be, I don't know, how honest can I be about this? Like there was a period when, when Dr. Luke, he just like, wasn't really getting what he needed sexually and he didn't have his sexuality figured out. And a big part of that is because he's a hero and he, is focusing very hard on, be- on becoming a better and better doctor. And he's like out there fucking saving lives, making the world a-, a better place. But you can't do everything all at once. So while focusing on becoming a better doctor, he just like in his personal life wasn't really having like a harmonious sexual life. And so it just ma- it just created this thing where he like would say outrageous sex, everything was an outrageous sex joke. Like whatever we could talk about, whatever we talked about, he could turn it into a overtly sexual, like crazy, disgusting, weird joke about sex. And it was just this like infinite waterfall of sexual statements that came from how there's like an unsatisfied sexuality within him. And that's true for like I have this other friend and I'm not allowed to talk about it on the podcast she's told me but it's just in her life she was just in a sexless marriage and she lost her mind like there was six seven years of no sex and she just completely lost touch with reality and ended up doing some really crazy shit and like I did this thing for myself recently where I took myself out of the dating pool for a year to just like learn about myself and to, because I always end up in relationships where I like feel, I feel bad and I'm in a relationship and I draw this conclusion that, oh, I must be feeling bad because I'm in a, rela- because there's something wrong with the relationship. So I keep like sabotaging or just, I keep just abandoning relationships because I think that there's something wrong with them. But really, I don't know wh- what the problem is and I don't know why I feel bad and, probably frequently the case it's more just that I feel bad so I had to be alone with myself for a year to figure out like what is my actual baseline like what feelings of feeling bad are actually within me always regardless of who I am with or like I need to figure out what I shouldn't be blaming on the on whatever relationship I'm in. And it's a mixed bag, you know, because I've been in a lot of bad relationships where a lot of bad feelings came from the relationship. And then also I'm a miserable son of a bitch and I'm always unhappy. And it's like, so I had to do that and I took myself out of the dating pool. And at the same time, I'm like just working all the time, just sort of like thinking about stuff and doing a lot of meditation and just trying to be with myself. And I just noticing, looking inward and, and being very aware of myself. I just noticed myself just turning things into jokes, sex related jokes in a way that I wasn't even really in control of. And it's just so interesting to notice it in yourself, how it's like, there is something about human sexuality where it's like, it's just one of our deepest things. It's like how you can't hold your breath until you die. Like breathing is one of our deepest things. And whatever aware consciousness we have is very superficial compared to the deepness of desire to inhale oxygen and food and water and sex. Like these are the deepest things. So we need them on such a deep level that like whatever we think we can do between ourselves in a fucking bible study group, between ourselves and the lord, it's actually very superficial compared to what your body has decided for you when it comes to what you need sexually. And it really just felt like this prophet lady was just and so interesting too because I was I was talking to this friend about it afterwards about how I don't think it's this thing where like Not that I would want to do this because it's like, I'm chilling, dude. It's all good. Like, I'm not trying to sleep with this prophet lady. That's not what I'm saying. But like in a hypothetical where if I had tried to be like, hey, can I like talk to you over here? Or like if we just go for a, if I go for a walk with this prophet lady and I'm like, hey, can I kiss you? I think she would have been so outraged and so surprised and so like, what are you talking about? You infidel. Why would I want to kiss you? I am... This is, I live for the Lord. I only live for the Lord, bro. (laughs) She would have been so flummoxed and so like surprised because on any conscious level, (laughs) she has no idea that there's this thing going on where her body just is trying to like get something. (laughs) So it's like just so interesting to think about how it's like there's this thing where on some level her body is like just reaching for things. (laughs) <laughs> in a way that she's not aware of, but in a way that people around her are probably very aware of. And it'd be so interesting to talk about my aunt about this, talk to my aunt about this and be like, have you noticed how she's like flirty with men around her? And you know? Have you noticed how she may have like a, you know, unaddressed sex drive? <laughs> and I wonder what my aunt would say, because she'd probably be like, ecclesiastics, you know? Matthew 23, 12. <laughs> Dude, they hired this taco truck, people. And then at the end, there's like, they pay them all this money, but they, while paying them, they're also like, so I made a list for like Bible verses that I really think, I ate your tacos and I really think these Bible verses are like what you need to study. And then on top of these ones that are wrote down, there's also like, you know, Lucas 2012, 2012, 15. And there's this one, you know, Proverbs. And I really think, like, you should really study these ones. And it's like, dude, these guys are just trying to make tacos. Like, can you can you give them a break? Can you give these people a break? And then what it also made me think of is how, you know, cults and stuff, like, cults usually have this weird sexual angle because there's something in the belief system of a cult maybe that's anti-sex, where it's like, a lot of cults have like an have like a purist vibe and the purest the, the thing what I'm, that I'm really talking about here is like, what if you live, what if you accidentally voluntarily or involuntarily live a purist life? What happens to your body and what happens to your actions and your mind? And like, how does it come out? And I believe that it's going to come out. And I believe that we are not fully in control and all of this stuff. But so it's interesting to think about cults and how the the, the the normal understanding is like there's a cult leader and maybe he's like taking advantage of everyone sexually but it's like there's actually a two-way thing it goes both ways because it's I can very much imagine like that some cults have like a puritan angle in the belief system so the cult leader is really trying to live a puritan life and trying to repress his sexuality completely and then that actually makes the cult leader sort of easy to manipulate or like the people that end up, I don't know, it just, that experience, that experience in the living room made me feel like I, I don't know, not that I had a lot of power, but like, that there was something where like, I don't know, it's just interesting to think about hypothetical paths forward. (laughs) Like, what if, what if, what if I like, text this, because this, she gives me like a book, and she saw like yeah, please reach out to me after you reach, read this book and stuff. And it's like, what if I reach out to her? And I'm like, yeah, I read the book. Like, can we like meet up and we just start like hanging out and we just read the Bible together and we just like sit next to each other on the couch. It's like it just really feels like it. Fe- <laughs> it feels like someone is going to take her up on this. Someone is going to sit next to her on that couch and read the Bible with her, and then they're just going to like you know, be tired and like lay next to each other on the bed and stuff. And she's going to be like, some disciple is going to get in there, you know? Like some disciple is going to be like, oh yeah, we're tired. We got to, we got to just spoon for a little bit, you know? Like we got to just, and then, you know, for Jesus, you know? And it's just like, so interesting to realize how not, I don't really think that cult leaders always have all the power, you know, I, I, it's actually something I am ultra fascinated with just how people in abusive roles, like abusive people don't always know what they're doing. And they're not always in all of the power. like they don't always have a plan in their head and they're not always very good at it. And when I was married, I my wife got kind of very abusive towards me and she wasn't super good at it and I there was a lot of like the cycle of abuse and the phases of the cycle of abuse and it I thought about it so much of how I don't think that abusers end up in abusive relationships where they abuse someone after reading books on it and reading books on the cycle of abuse and being like, oh, yes, I'm going to abuse the shit out of this person until I almost lose them. And then I'm going to start love bombing them for six weeks. And then when they're really there, I'm going to start abusing them again. And then like I'm going to really isolate them. And I'm going to make sure they don't have any friends. And then I'm going to like control their money. And then I'm going to abuse the shit out of them. And then right when they're about to abandon me and... And cut all ties and like give up on everything. I'm going to start love bombing them so I don't lose them, and we're just going to have this infinite cycle of, of of a rise and a fall and stuff. Like I don't think that there's that that there's that conscious awareness of the cycle from the abusers. Like I think so much abusive stuff is people that aren't actually aware of what they're doing. They're just following. There's just some hard wired thing in us of how we do stuff. And then when, if we're shitty people and we have too much pain, we just like end up doing like it, I think it comes really natural. I think acting out being an abuser and acting out an abusive cycle of abuse comes really natural to some people. And then some people it comes half natural. And I think like, like my wife was kind of abusive towards me, but she never really figured it out. And she, she wasn't that good at it, which is probably a Sign of her not being that horrible of a person, you know, like she was never that horrible about it. And I think that there's just so much gray area everywhere. And like, (laughs) I don't know, dude, if this lady starts a cult, if this prophet lady starts a cult, there's going to be a lot of gray areas there because there's going to be some disciples. There's going to be some disciples holding this lady's hand and and they're going to have a lot of power over her and she won't even know it. And she's going to be like, what? You don't want demons in your house, do you? I have to come to your house. And like her deeply repressed psychological subconscious is going to be like, I think there are demons in your bedroom. And then like, just because all that stuff about what you see and what you dream, like all of that gray area of so like, it's just interpretive dance spirituality in like new religious movements stuff, like all of that is so susceptible to your sexuality bubbling up through that stuff that it's like, I cannot imagine that it isn't sort of like, yeah, to get these demons out, we have to like rid ourselves of the old. And what the old means is maybe our clothes. And, like, these clothes are part of the old that brought these demons in. And, like, yeah, I know we don't have new clothes right now, so we're going to have to just take our clothes off. And it's going to have to just be, like, it's going to have to be like this for a bit. Like, we're going to have to be naked. And I know we're naked in a bedroom, and it's like, might seem like it's not what Jesus wants, but it's, like, it's going to have to be like this, bro. And it's just, like... <clears throat> there's gonna be some <clears throat> crotch area, you know? At some point, someone's gonna go for the crotch area and it's gonna be a slow buildup because there's some self-awareness and there's some knowing of what's going on and there's people around that are gonna be like, I don't know if you should really be doing that with that. Per-. There's a lot of things that would put the brakes on the process, but at the in the end, in the end, the, pro- the like human sexuality, you know? In the end, you know, in the end it's, you know? It's going to go there. And some disciple is going to have a lot of power over this lady, you know? <laughs> and, then, and then they're so fucking funny, dude. And then at the at the end there, when we're chilling in the living room last weekend, there's like this one part of the conversation where they're all super focused on me, which is, it's very nice. It's very like being love bombed by religious people who are trying to learn about you, to see how they could fit Jesus in your life. Like, it's a very good feeling. I can really understand how there's so many things about joining a cult that I am sympathetic to. It's like we're all in pain and all of these exercises that a cult comes up with, even doesn't matter how rudimentary they are, doesn't matter how stupid they sound, I think it's all actually helpful to us to just try to deal with our stuff, to try to talk about it, to be in a room and to try to do, like to just try to shake stuff loose and to try to read, like just read the Bible and think about your own issues. I think just trying to apply any random texts to your own problem, it's going to make you think about your problem. And that's probably going to be helpful for you. So like, there's so much about it that's helpful. And then also just attention. Attention feels good. And joining a cult, I believe, includes having some amount of attention directed towards you, especially in the beginning. And getting attention is like, You know, this sort of validation addiction that I talk about that I have when it comes to just like dating and stuff. It's like a big part of it is just attention. Like we just want attention. We just want to feel seen. We want to feel heard. All of this stuff. So like I'm sitting in this room and there's like these three women and they're so focused on me and they're asking me about my life and like where I grew up and like, oh, you spent 10 years in China. And they're like, how did you end up in China? And then my aunt is looking at me. And she's trying to do that thing that she does where she makes me uncomfortable because she's more comfortable than me saying like, oh yeah, he's super in love with these mariachi girls. And it makes me blush. And she's so, she she becomes so much in control of the vibe when she says that because I'm like, oh God no, I'm not in love with the mariachi girls. And then she's like, yeah, he's so in love with the mariachi girls. He like can't stop looking at them. And I'm like, no, mom, I'm not in love with the mariachi girls. And she's like, oh, you should go talk to the mariachi girls. And I'm like, mom, I don't want to go talk to the mariachi girls. And it's like, she's usually so in control. But this one time in the conversation, she's looking at me and she's looking at the Vietnamese prophet lady sitting next to me who's like, I don't know how much I've described her, but she's like maybe in her late 40s, and she's kind of pretty, and and who knows how to age-differentiate Asian ladies anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's kind of hard. And so at one point, my aunt's like looking at me and this Asian lady on the couch, and she's trying to do that thing where she embarrasses me by saying, describing to me what I like or whatever. And my uncle does it too. He's like, when I visited him when I was 16, I... I took his class. He was teaching this class in the Bay. And, and I, he's like, just show up at my class. And I'm sitting and it's a Photoshop class. And there's like 30 students in the class. And it's, it's a, a college in America. So it's mostly Asians, right? That's how it goes. And so there are all these Asian college girls in there. And he's all like making fun of me of how I'm into the Asian girls. And I'm like, no, I'm not into the Asian girls. But it's like Asian girls are pretty. Like I'm not saying, I'm not saying, oh, God. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but he's trying to make fun of me and make me blush by being like, "Yeah, he's into the Asian girls." And then this one time, so that's like a thing that they that my aunt and uncle will say where they're like, "Yeah, joke, him so into Asian girls," and they'll embarrass me. So at one point, the 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 profit lady and the the mansion lady, they're trying to ask me like, "Hey, why why did you end up in China for 10 years?" And my aunt looks at me, And she says these things that she usually says, but this time it comes out different. And she looks at me and she goes, he's really into Asian girls. And in the middle of the sentence, you can just feel her heart drop because there's like this Asian lady that is her friend sitting next to me on the couch, touching my thigh. And it's like, (laughs) it's like, bro, I'm not creating the situation that you're putting me in. Like, you're the person who's telling me to sit on this couch, and this is your prophet sitting next to me who happens to be an Asian lady touching my thigh. Like, I'm, I am not... Like, the way she said it this one time, it just sounded different to herself. And you could just hear her heart drop in the middle of the sentence of this thing that she usually says with such gusto to to make fun of me and to make me blush. And this one time, I'm like, I don't know that it's coming out the same way this time, lady, because... It's sounding a little bit like, yeah, like, I don't know. Are you trying to, like, like, you emphasizing how I'm into Asian girls and me trying to defend myself and be like, bro, I'm not some, I don't have some, like, weird racial approach to dating, dude. I married a white lady. Like, what do you want from me? Like, I don't have some approach like that. Like, I'm just a person, bro. Can I just be a person? Can I just be allowed to live in the world? Do you have to make fun of me for everything? (laughs) And then this time when she said it, it came out as if she's like trying to set me up with some prophet lady. And it's like, hey, man, knock yourself out. That sounds hilarious to me. You trying to have me join some sex cult here? I don't know. Anyway, we should probably drink a sparkling water here. So this time, this week, we're drinking Saratoga Sparkling. It's carbonated spring water since 19, no, since 1872. Beautiful. Plain sparkling water because I really, I think we need to bring ourselves back to the basics here and just be in the world and not, not everything has to be flavored, you know? Sometimes we have to just be. Let's smell it. Yeah, exactly. It smells like nothing. It smells like me when I smell this, all I smell is coffee because I just had coffee. Wonderful. I've been sipping a cup of decaf coffee while recording this episode. And there's just something beautifully European and beautifully sort of like clean and interesting. And that it isn't exactly my thing, but it's a classic pairing. And it is coffee and sparkling water. Espresso shot and sparkling water. And because of the coffee I just had, that's a 10 out of 10 Saratoga. I love it. Okay. There's one more thing I wanted to talk about. And it's like, <clears throat> I got this email from Luke and it's a beautiful email. And he, cause I, a few episodes ago, I talked about the problems of his and my friendship and relationship. And when I like stopped talking to him or whatever, and he addressed it in this email and, and he, this is his email. Hi, Joachim, I apologize for the conflict I have caused over the years, which is most of the time a result of my bad behavior. I apologize for telling Sebastian about your pregnancy. That was irresponsible of me. You both sound like you are doing well! Now, that's a beautiful email. It's succinct. It's like honest-sounding. It's not like overly dramatic or weird. It's just like a beautiful apology. And when I read it, I immediately, like, this is so funny about humans and apologies. When you get a real apology, it has such a beautiful counter, counter. like, it has such a, it has such a, everything becomes reversed because I go from being mad at Luke to immediately feeling like I want to take responsibility for everything. Like I immediately feel like I want to say, yeah, but Luke, me though, like I did so much of it because that's also the truth. Now, I don't ruminate on it all the time, so it's not really front of mind for me. And I don't really remember all the details of all of the fights and stuff because, you know, what's good about just holding on to a bunch of stuff like that? Like what I remember from my friendship with Dr. Luke is a bunch of beautiful, really brilliant, smart conversations we had, and he's so funny and every joke is about sex. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's a that's a callback to something earlier in the episode. Anyway, Luke is a beautiful person and he's a hero, and there's so much about The problems that we had that's probably my fault but really the point i was also trying to make last time i talked about it is really i think it was neither one of our faults because we don't live in the same country and we tried to be friends for years beyond meeting each other in person which is one of the many things that's mostly my fault because he came and visited me every other year for like 10 years in china in america and all these different places and i never went to new zealand and visited him you know, so that's my, that's, that part of it is my fault. He was so generous, you know, he would come and visit me in China and I remember him buying me a suit and, and he paid for all this shit and he bought me a beautiful meal at Mare, which is like one of the worst meals we've ever had. The beautiful trope that we refer back to oftentimes, because what's more funny than talking about a really bad experience you had together? Like he ordered the, their most experienced steak. It's like a Mediterranean French fucking steakhouse in Beijing and we go and he orders this fucking pork chop or whatever. And what you get is just a fucking cow knuckle. It's just a round spherical bone. It's just like a a kneecap with like a tiny bit of meat around it. But anyway... And 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 he got me a suit and the suit didn't fit, even though the guy measured took my measurements and tailored me a suit and he didn't know he didn't know how to do it because apparently my I have the measurements of Beyonce pretty much. I have the measurements of Kim Kardashian, where I have this narrow, narrow hourglass waist and a huge butt. And so the fucking tailor made me a fucking suit that looked like a dress and he paid a hundred bucks for that suit and he thought it was so funny and so worth it because it looked so ridiculous and it was one of the worst looking suits anyone anyone either one of us had ever seen but really the problem in our friendship wasn't me and it wasn't luke it was the part that it was the fact that we weren't in the same country and we just talked to each other through text messages and voice messages and interspersed with video calls. And, you know, this week, Lex Friedman interviewed Mark Zuckerberg of Meta of Facebook on his podcast. And the way they interviewed is that they did this metaverse interview, where they have both been scanned in Boston or whatever, by this super complicated software that understands all the wrinkles and all the everything about your face and the texture of your skin and the shape of your face and how your face moves and all the dimples and all the asymmetries and it understands your face. And then you put on a, a Meta brand VR headset that both shows you the VR world to your eyes, but it also reads your face and all the movements of your face. And it shows you the person in front of you, not just as a image, but as a moving, perfect replica of their actual three-dimensional face and the movements of their face and the little smirk at the corner of the... And it's like, it's this beautiful bridge between a video call and meeting someone in the real world where it's like, if Luke and me had had that, if if we had that technology which will exist for everyone in 20 years or in five years or in 30 years, who knows? It seems like there's a little bit of a barrier to entry where you need to be really, really scanned in a kind of complicated way for now. But if we had had that, and we had if we had that, because, and the thing that Mark Zuckerberg said about it that I found so beautiful was like, he's like, yeah, there's all this research showing that when two people communicate, most of the communication going back and forth between these two people isn't the words. It's everything else. And so when you are two people and you try to communicate through just voice messages for years without seeing each other, you there's something that is missed. And there's something that ca- that creates... There's something there where conflict is so much more possible because because you aren't all of yourselves. You are missing so many of the different frequencies that we normally communicate on. And because of that, really what it was is that we forgot, each person forgot that the other person was, had full humanity to them. I often felt like Luke forgot that I had full humanity to me. And he treated me, he treated me bad, not because he treats humans bad, but that he forgot that I was a human because I was just a voice. And a voice is not a full moral agent. And it was an attempt at a friendship over a decade of, of not being in the same country. And, and it just, it didn't work. But we're trying something new now. where like, he communicates through me and sends me emails. And I respond to these emails on the podcast. And for the duration of these podcast episodes, we are friends. And I fucking love Luke, bro. Like he's one of my best friends. I love this guy, and for the duration of the podcast, we are full friends and I have humanity and he can see my humanity and we are everything. And it's a beautiful thing, man. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> Dude, I fucking love Luke. All right, whatever. Okay, episode's over. Artemis is gonna be here in like five minutes. I gotta I gotta I gotta turn the heater on. It's fucking cold in here. All right. I love you guys. Don't do anything I wouldn't do.